Praise the Lord. Intimacy. You know, when we started that in 2012, talking about our values, you know, we, uh, we had this value statement. It was one plus one equals one. How that when in intimacy is described in the Bible is that when you come into connection with God, then the two become one. And, and how do we know that? Well, because in marriage, he also, he also says that the two shall become one, right? And then what does he say that we are? We are his what? Collectively, we are the bride of Christ. So that when we're the bride of Christ, united with our, our, the husband, which is Jesus himself, we become one with God the Father. Amen? And we form this incredible unity that is found in no other faith, not described in any other religion, but is only found through connecting with the true and living God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We are one. Amen. Bible says, I'm the, you are the vine, I'm the, uh, it says, I'm the vine, I should say, you are the branches, and you said, and he who abides in me and in me bears much fruit, for without me, you can do nothing. We need to be connected to God to have the impact that God has determined for us to have. Now, I got to be honest with you. When we were uh, working on these values back in 2012, and as a staff, we're sitting down, so Mark, this is before your days, you and Katrina, this is, Todd was sitting there with us, and, and uh, Barry, and Dan, and myself and, uh, you know, Mark, and we're sitting around the table uh, working on these. And I brought 12 values that I believe are the values of the house. And I think nine of them made it in without alteration, but one of the ones that got altered was this one. And I had said worship. Worship was certainly one of the values of the house. And Barry was the one who contended with me on this. Uh, he was pretty stubborn. And how many know Barry can be stubborn? Does, anyone ever, does anybody know Barry? Uh, that he can be stubborn. <laughs> Rod, you're shaking your head. You don't think he can be stubborn? No, he, he, he can be stubborn. So, so anyway, Barry said, no. He said, no, it shouldn't be worship. He said, it should be intimacy. And I was like, hey, you know, intimacy, come on, that's such a girly word, <laughs> you know? And then Barry said, yeah, but he said, you, worship is an activity. You can't have it as a, an activity as a value. A value is something that's intrinsic. It's not, it's a, it's something that is, a, uh, well, it's, it's a value, but it's a, something that is relationally motivated uh, in and through your life. And he said, so to, to say that worship and activity is a value is a little bit shallow. He said, worship is an activity we do because we value the intimacy that we are to have with the Lord. So after a little bit of wrestling back and forth, we ended up with intimacy rather than worship. And I've had people say to me, why isn't worship up there? That's why. Worship is the outflow of intimacy with the Lord. Otherwise, it's just mechanics, right? You know, we, you may like the music, you might have it on the radio, UCB or whatever, and, uh, but you're not worshiping truly unless you're expressing the relationship, the intimacy that you have with your Savior. The person who values worship is somebody who has a personal value of intimacy. So if we acknowledge that we need to walk in relationship with God, worship becomes one of those ways in which we express ourselves to the Lord. It's one of those ways in which we communion with Him and we are, are close to Him and He to us is in the midst of worship. And I would hazard to say that most of you, your most intimate experiences that you've ever had with God were in the setting in the midst of worship or in the midst of uh, responding to a powerful message and, and, and as the music played and as the, the presence, you could tangibly feel it in the room, God ministered to you, and it usually starts and opens through worship. So we are 
here to talk about not just worship, but intimacy here today and uh, over the next few weeks. You know, every building needs a firm foundation. I remember when we lived in Lindsay, we uh, had a developer from Toronto that came up. I won't name the developer, but started building houses in Lindsay really fast. And, uh, and I remember the, the building inspector was pulling his hair out because these guys were just cutting corners everywhere. And uh, one, one couple moved into their house and moved in and unpacked everything. Or having a nice, and at the end of the day, she said, I'm going to have a bath. She poured herself a nice bath. She sat there and relaxed for an hour, probably with candles going or whatever, you know, uh, as ladies tend to do when they're having a bath. And then she pulls the plug to let the water out, and it all ended up in their kitchen. And uh, one of the houses, I remember going down there, and the inspector was talking with him because it was right behind our church, so I'd take a walk down there. And the foundation was out, I think it was six inches from one corner to the other from being level. And the, the inspector's just beside himself, like, you, this is ridiculous. And, and the reason I mention that is because you can't build upon something when the foundation isn't right. If it's not level, if it's not, if it's not square, then everything you do afterwards is going to be a mess, right down to pulling the plug out and uh, the water comes out into your kitchen, you know? Uh, the reality is you have to have a good foundation, and you got to check and recheck to make sure that that it's square, that it's level, that it's plumb, that everything is good so that when you build on it, you're building on a firm foundation. Amen? And, you know, as, as Christians, we need to establish that our foundation for our life is our relationship with God. You know, otherwise, it's just a religion, right? If, if you say, well, I, you know, I believe in God, and, uh, and you go to church, and you give a little money here or there, those are things that people in all kinds of religions do, right? They go to temple, they go to mosque, they go to whatever, and they, they try to live a good life, and they give a little here, they give a little there, they do these things, they try to keep whatever commandments or whatever rules there are in their particular religion. If that's what your Christianity is, you're missing the mark, because it's not about that. In fact, the Bible uniquely says about your actions, your good works, the good things that you're doing, unlike other religions that say, yes, that's a, the offering that goes up before the Lord, Christianity says all of that effort is like filthy rags to God. It's meaningless if you don't accept the gift of Jesus Christ. If you don't have a relationship with him, if that's not your foundation, all the good stuff you do is meaningless. In fact, it's a rejection of what Christ has done for you. Because you think, I'm going to be accepted by being good. And God says, no, I gave my son so that you would be able to be with me. I, I, I sent him to pay a price for your iniquity. And, and, and your good works can't bridge the gap. Only Jesus bridges the gap. Are right, you hearing me this morning? And so our Christianity, our faith is built on the work of Jesus Christ. Now, the good news is, because it's built on the work of Jesus Christ... If I mess up, we're still good. This is a hard thing for religious people to get past because they think every time they mess up, they got to go around and try and fix it, right? Every time they mess up, they're like, oh, God must be really angry with me now. I, you know, I got I to gotta get right with God and, you know, sackcloth and ashes or beating yourself up for a month or whatever. And, I, I, you know, I talk with people all the time that get caught in that trap. And that's what it is. It's a trap. 
Because the reality is you didn't save yourself and you can't keep yourself. You are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and you are kept by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when I get mad and I lose my temper, it's covered by the blood. That doesn't mean I don't go to God and say, God, I don't want to lose my temper like that again. Please help me. And he says, sure, I'll help you. But the reality is I, I, I don't spend a week walking around mourning in sackcloth and ashes. I don't beat myself up and deny myself Starbucks for a week just to punish myself for losing my temper because that would just make me lose it even more if I didn't have my coffee. You know what I mean? I, I don't do those things. I don't try to work out acts of penance to try and fix my relationship with God. My relationship with God is fixed and maintained by the work of Jesus Christ. Do you hear that this morning? And when you can get that and really get that in your spirit, then you are free to begin to live in a relationship with God where the reason we don't sin and the reason we, we try to be good isn't because we're motivated to somehow earn his favor. We do it because we already have his favor. And the last thing we'd ever want to do is disappoint someone who loves us that much. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? That's how we're to live our Christianity. So as his family, we need to understand that we were built for this relationship. We were created for this relationship. In 19, or should I should say in 1647, a little, little before this time, uh, the Anglican Church or the Church of England uh, finished and completed what they call their uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's a, uh, basically the doctrinal statements and teachings of the church. And they wrote this in that Catechism of 1647, they said, the chief purpose of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, some would say that worship is what we were made for, but worship is what we who love God are admonished to do. It's an activity we're given, but it's not really what we were made for. It's not really what we were made for. Um, Many people end up feeling frazzled and, and frustrated in their life and in their relationship uh, or in their faith and in their relationships with other people because they haven't understood that their faith is actually a relationship and not a religious obligation. And we try to fill the gap that we have in our heart that God created us for relationship. And if we don't work it out with him, if we don't start relationship with him and walk in relationship with him, we try to work it out in other types of relationships. And that's why sometimes the strain and the stress that's put on our earthly relationships is too much for them to bear. Sometimes a spouse puts all of their relational eggs in their partner's bas basket so that when, if, if that partner fails or if they, if they die, they go home to be with the Lord or whatever, I mean, they're, they're, they can't function anymore because everything relationally they had was in that other person. Many times, the relation, relational basket or the relational investment's all in the children. I've seen this happen many times where couples put all of their energy into their children and then when the children move out, they look at each other and say, who are you? Right? And they don't know how to function now that the kids are no longer here. Now that they're no longer taking care of the children, they don't know how to live their lives because their relationship basket was completely filled with the relationship with their children. And God says, no, 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 no. Fill that relationship basket with me and all the other relationships will be even healthier. 
because they flow out of your relationship with me. We need to make sure that that relationship is the best relationship. And then when every other relationship falls apart, when every other relationship, but it doesn't matter who it is, whether they, it's because they just, the kids just move out or someone abandons us or someone hurts us, our anchor is in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And then the Bible says you can love because he first loved you. In other words, the capacity to have a relationship with somebody else is enhanced because you've experienced the love that God the Father has for us. Amen. Worship becomes a human response then of a revelation that we have of our need for a relationship that is greater than the human relationships that we experience. So when we realize that we have a need, an innate created need in our being, I believe Blaise Pascal called it, uh, uh, the, every person he said, a God-shaped vacuum. When you realize that you have this vacuum that has to be filled by God and can't be filled by any other kind of relationship, when you realize that you have that, then life changes. Then you're able to function better with your uh, family, with your friends, because you realize that that vacuum can't be filled by them. It's got to be filled by God. That's why, in truth, I think the Westminster Confession got it slightly wrong. Okay, I'm just... I know I'm correcting the Anglican church here, but uh, bear with me. It says that the chief purpose of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I would say that the chief purpose of man is to be loved by God and to enjoy him forever. Slight little difference there. You see, the reality is that we exist to be loved by God, not to glorify him first and foremost, but to be loved by him first and foremost. You see, the truth is we have to start with that relationship, that the truth is that we were built for intimacy with God. Remember, it's because God first loved us. And so my existence, the end, the chief end of man, the purpose for me to be here is to be loved by God. Do you get that this morning? The Lord is, you know... You know, people say, well, the Lord's seeking worship. The Lord's not really seeking worship. He's seeking people, and they worship. His desire is people, is worshipers. God doesn't need worship. He's had it for, he's had worship for millennia. The angels exist sitting around the throne giving worship to God 24 hours a day. Worship isn't something that he's in need of. God has worship. God doesn't have anything that he needs except one thing. God being perfect and God being uh, divine, God being omnipresent, omniscient, all-powerful, uh, he was also all love. So the only thing that God didn't have was something or someone to pour his love and his affection out upon so that God in his divinity was completed when he made humanity because now he had the object of his heart's desire. He had that which he could unload his affections upon. So that's why I say the chief end of man, the chief purpose for your existence, the reason you were created is so that God could love you. Do you get that this morning? Why did God made me? He made me so that he could pour out his affections upon me. That's why he made me, 
He made me so that he could love me. He didn't make me so that I could serve him. He made me so that I could love him because he loved me. He wanted to be in relationship. He wanted to be in community. He wanted to be in family. And so he created humanity so that he could love them. And with that vulnerable option that they could love him back. See, because as Lewis would say, to love anything is to be vulnerable. To love anything is to open your heart to potential hurt. And no being has ever opened their heart to more potential hurt than God, our Father. Because he has loved an often very ungrateful, unappreciative, unloving humanity in return. That he lavishes his love upon us, and many times all we give him back is Grief, anger, but most of all, probably (sighs) indifference. How many know that, in fact, many times we almost wish that that people would rebel against us or that we get some kind of a, a reaction because indifference is absolutely the thing we can't handle. And and God doesn't want that indifference from you. He wants relationship with you. That's what he created you for. You were created so that you could be loved. And in return, God's yearning for your love back to him. It's as simple as that. God desires that his people worship him because worship is an expression of love. I mean, if you think about it, God, you ever had that problem when you're trying to buy a Christmas gift for somebody who's got everything? How many have had that experience? You know, you're trying to buy something for somebody who's got everything, right? It's challenging, isn't it? Very difficult. So how do you buy a present for Christmas for God? The, 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 the being that owns everything, and the Bible says owns the cattle on a thousand hillsides, that that, that created the heavens and the earth, who set the stars in motion, the God of infinite glory. How in the world do you create something to, or purchase something you could give him that, that would be satisfactory? The reality is he's the ultimate person that it's difficult to shop for. But what you can give him, what you can give him that nobody else can give God is your affection. That's what you can give him. You can give God your heart. You see, that's the only thing that the God of the universe, the God of the universe does not own but has made an option. God created you to be loved. The only thing, the only vulnerability he has is whether you would choose to love him in return. So what's the greatest gift that you can give God is to love him. How do you express that? Why does worship become such a, an important component of, of church corporate activity? Because it's where we collectively express our affections for God. And, and I don't know about you, but when you get in the presence of other people doing it as well, it's like it's enhanced. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, there's nothing taken away from my worship by joining it with somebody else's. The whole thing is enhanced. Everybody follow what I'm saying this morning? So God does desire people, I mean, does desire worship 
Because it comes from a people who love them. If worship is just, you know, turning your hymn book to page 347, you know, and then you stand and you just stand there going, A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never changing. I like the song, by the way. Um, and if it's just you reading something off of a book or off of a screen and it's just coming from here and not from here, it's not worship. Doesn't mean you can't worship with a hymn book, but at some point the hymn book has to be, you know, has to be not the object of your attention. God has to be. Just like the screen. It was funny watching everybody today without the words, you know. How do I do this? Well, you can just close your eyes and say, Jesus, I love you. Right? When 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 some formulaic words are not there for you to express it, you can just express it from your spirit because what he's looking for is the expression of your affection. Amen? <laughs> was a really good test for this morning when you're speaking on intimacy. It's, people are like, whoa, what do I do now? You know, very challenging for sure. But understand, the words are there to just simply facilitate something coming from your heart. They're not to replace what's coming from your heart. They're to facilitate something from your heart. That's why people say to me, well, what is worship? Is it, is it singing hymns or dancing or weeping or, you know, swinging from the chandeliers or what other, you know, things that we've been talked about or told. No, it is simply you loving God from your heart and, and literally physically expressing that to him. You know, don't be like the old farmer who looked at his wife and he said, you know, honey, I told you I loved you on my wedding day. If I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. Let that settle in for a minute there. You know, our relationship with God ought not to be like that. God, you know, the day that I got saved, I told you that I loved you, and if I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. No, you know, a healthy relationship is not like that. A healthy relationship is a continuous expression of our love and affection for one another. Right? And it continues from the, from the altar when we say amen to one another, and I love you, and I do. And it goes right to the grave. And it's the same thing with our confession of faith with God. And when I go into the presence of the Lord at 110 or whenever it is, you know, and I walk into his presence, I am going to be filled with the glory and the love of Jesus on my lips. And it'll be like just sliding from one place to another, but the posture of my spirit will be exactly the same. Jesus, I love you. I love you. Hallelujah. Well, I don't know, I got lots of notes here this morning, but I'm really not paying much attention to them. <laughs> Bottom line is this. God is looking to have a relationship with you. And I know sometimes, especially guys hear me, the word intimacy is not exactly the easiest word for us to wrap our brains around. Like I said, Barry and I argued about this for quite a while. And I said to Barry, I said, I think you're just more in touch with your feminine side than I am. And, uh, and he said, no, I just realize how important this is to understanding the nature of our connection with God. You see, I'm a very cerebral person. How many else are, how many else are like that? You're, you're a thinker. How many, how many thinkers do I have in the room? 
Are you, sen- are you a sensor or a thinker? I'm a thinker. Which are you? How many, how many sensors? People who go by intuition. How many thinkers? Okay. So when, let me, can I just talk to the thinkers here for a minute? All right? You sensors already are probably getting this whole message, but can I talk to the thinkers for a minute? You know, listen to me, thinkers. You can't think yourself into the presence of God. Right? We, you know, don't get me wrong. I love to study. I'm, I'm into the scripture all the time. I love to read. I love the information. I love all that stuff, and I love to think about it and work it through. And thinking can help you and equip you to communicate what you believe to other people better than maybe sensing can. But when it comes to encountering God, when it comes to getting before him, you know, the thinking's not going to take you there, right? It's going to have to be something that you go after from the heart. My wife is not interested in, in how many, you know, books I can write about what love is. I could read to her all kinds of wonderful messages and sermons about the nature of love and what love is and how love should be worked out and all that. What she wants and what she needs and what she craves is to sense, to experience that connection with me. Not to have me write books about it, but to experience it with me. Do you understand the difference? And so for us kind of cerebral people, we have to understand that our faith is not just logical and it doesn't just make sense. And I love apologetics and I love being able to talk to people who are evolutionists or atheists and, and, and present to them the incredible logical reasons why I believe what I believe. And I love that stuff. But at the end of the day, my connection with God is not built on that stuff. My connection with God is a relationship. And I, and I have to spend time in his presence to foster the relationship. Sometimes I just sit there and I say nothing. And I just say, God, I just want, I just want to connect with you right now. So I'm just going to shut off all the noise and everything. I'll shut my door and I'm just going to wait in your presence because he's always there, right? It's not that God is there and then he's not there. He's always there, but it's about attuning my spirit to the fact that he's there. So I'm usually so busy doing everything in my day that I'm not listening or hearing him. Now I'm taking time to listen, and all of a sudden, I sense that he's there. Why? Because I took the time to go, God, what do you have to say to me today? And it's amazing the connection that is established and the, the more frequently I, I take time to just pause in his presence, it seems like the qu- more quickly I'm able to just sense that he is there. Sometimes the best place to do it is I just, you can go for a walk and you shut everything out. My wife is a, is a walker. And I know when she's walking, what's she doing? She's talking to God and listening to God as she goes for a walk. Now, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a sitter because for me, I'm always moving. I'm a, I'm a doer, right? So for me, what's been interesting this whole boat I had with shingles is that I couldn't do. So all I could do <laughs> was sit back and do nothing, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and in that place of doing nothing, got some time to just say, okay, Lord, what are you saying? And he's breathing out to me, rest. You need rest. Your body needs rest. 
but you need rest in my presence. I said, I'm sorry, Lord. And he said, don't worry about it. We're good. I'd just like to spend more time with you. Right? See, that's really the God we serve. It's not the, well, I told you we want, needed more time. Why haven't you been here? That's not the God we serve. Do you hear me? He just said, it's okay. But I'm really enjoying this time. I'm really enjoying this time. And I hear God speaking to me and, and, and affirming me, but also affirming how much he's enjoying the time with me. That takes it to a whole new level. He enjoys being with me. Wrap your brain around that for a minute. And he enjoys being with you. Why? Because he created you so that he could love you, so that he could spend time with you. And what he craves is for you to just acknowledge that, love him back, and enjoy being with him. Now, like I said, different people connect in different ways. None of them necessarily wrong. You know, some people, they pray in the King James and they sense God's presence. That's good. You keep praying in the King James, that works for you. Other people start in the kitchen and run to the side of their bed and slide the last 10 feet on their knees and cry out to God and say, help. And then they connect with the Lord as he comes in and helps. That's okay. You know, there's no formula for it. And some people try to make communion with God into a formula. And I'm afraid that eventually all formulas fail. It's like, imagine having a relationship with your spouse that's formulaic. You know, this is how we're always going to do this or this or this. Usually it doesn't work too well. That's not saying that you can't schedule time to go on date nights or whatever, just like you can schedule time to be in the presence with the Lord, whether it's morning, afternoon, evening, or whatever. But the reality is, what I've discovered in relationship is this. Quality time, everybody listen to me. Quality time is that thing that happens in the midst of quantity time. Want me to say it again? People say, I just want a quality relationship with God. I want a quality relationship with my spouse or with my children. All right, well, listen to this. Quality is that thing that happens in the midst of quantity. So if you don't spend time with your children, it's going to be very difficult to get any quality time with your children. If you don't spend time with your spouse and invest and make quantity time for your spouse, it's not very likely you're going to find those quality moments with your spouse. If you don't make quantity time with God, it's going to be hard and difficult to find those quality moments with God because they happen in the midst of quantity. Am I making any sense to anybody here this morning? All right. I think that's all I want to say today. You know, um, my dad used to jokingly say to me all the time, he said, son, take five minutes and tell me all you know. as kind of a reminder that you don't know everything you think you know, right? And uh, I used to have a sign in my office that said, hire a teenager while they still know everything. <laughs> you know, all those kinds of 
comments. But what all of those things remind us of is this, that the reality of relationship is that quality happens in the midst of quantity. You can't take five minutes and tell everybody someone all you know. You can't take five minutes with God and tell them everything that's on your heart. Just not going to work. You're going to need to invest some quantity in order to get the quality expression from your heart to him. Same thing with your spouse. It's great. It's fine if you, you, you schedule date nights. That's fine. I'm not against that. But uh, that can be a really healthy thing because you're making it a priority. But admit, listen to this. Don't say, okay, honey, we've got 45 minutes for dinner, and then we have 20 minutes for quality talk during dinner, and then, you know, we got to get on to this or that. No, 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 no. If it's date night, all your attention is on your spouse and not on anything else. I remember my, my, my wife, I, I, I never understood the fascination when we first moved to this area of the county, right? Um, I now see, you know, Prince Edward County and all of its charms and all of the stuff that it has to offer and love to go over there, great places to eat and visit and all that kind of stuff. But she was always saying, let's go to the county, let's go to the county. This is going back quite a few years, by the way. And I was like, oh, fine. I said, we'll go to the county. So I said, we're, you know, we're going to take this Saturday or whenever it was. Was it a Saturday, I think, sure? Or we're going to go to the county. So, you know, so we're heading over. And uh, the whole time we're going over, I'm talking on the phone to people, um, sitting at a table when we were at a, uh, a cafe or something over there, and I'm texting people, and Sherry just looked at me and said, let's go home. I said, well, I thought you said you wanted to be in the county. We're in the county. And she said, no, no, I wanted to be with you in the county. I'm in the county, but I'm not with you. You're with everybody else that you're talking to on your phone. I don't even know what I'm talking about. So I said, oh, oh I, I think I see what you mean now, yeah. Yeah, it took a while. Sometimes, man, head thick like rock, you know, uh, need help. So, so I, got, I got a reminder from her that what she wanted was not just to go to the county. She wanted to go there because she was seeing in her mind that this is a place where we could have a quality experience that would be something that, that created more and more intimacy and more and more levels of affection in our relationship. It would take us further places. So... I've since changed. I don't do that. I'm, uh, you know, I've, I'm, I try to just not ignore it completely if I can. Put it on silent mode, you know, whatever. Because what I've realized is that I think in the, my years in the ministry, I've had one call in four in the morning that was a true emergency that I needed to respond to. And I was glad that I had my phone uh, on in my nightstand that I was able to do that. But most stuff, that whether you're with your spouse and you're, or you're in the presence of the Lord, most of it can wait. You need to make, you know, uh, room so that the quality time can happen. Amen? You can't take five minutes and tell God all that's on your heart. And guess what? He can't tell you everything that's on his heart in five minutes either. The infinite God of the universe it would take a thousand lifetimes to hear even a fraction of what's on his heart. So we need to take time to be in his presence so God can speak. Amen? And he's going to speak. He'll speak with a still, soft voice. Some of you might even experience audible voices. He'll speak through his word. He'll speak through your spirit, through peace, through 
through you know just understanding and affection and feeling and knowing and sensing all that God is and what he is about. But God wants to speak to you. So open up the word, open up your spirit, and let God talk to you. Amen? Let God connect with you. Don't shut him out. Am I making any sense to anybody today? Are you hearing me? Good. All right. Stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening to the ramblings of a doer trying to find his place of connecting with the Lord. How many know that we tend to replicate what we are, right? And, uh, you know, in my own family, with my own kids, I taught them everything about doing, right? Found it always harder to talk about connecting, about relationship and all the rest of it. Uh, not that we were, we're a family of huggers, we're a family of connection that way, that's true, but my, always my biggest struggle was always to, you know, um, I came from a home where there was almost no affection ever demonstrated at all. So when we got married, we determined demonstrations of affection would be really important. So hugging, affirming, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and I think we were pretty good at that. But I also realized that as I grew older that my kids also needed to see that same affection in our relationship with God. They knew that Dad read the Bible. They knew that Dad knew the Bible, that Dad memorized the Bible. But they also needed to see, I think, and if I have any regret in my parenting, it's been that they need to see Dad, you know, visually see it and be with Dad more in prayer in the presence of the Lord. You know, I taught them to pray. I said, this is how you pray. We prayed over our kids. We did all those things. But, but to actually just live out connection and relationship more together as a family. And I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to do that in your own time, but also with your spouse, with your kids. Connect with God. Live that out in front of your family. Let them see you connecting with your God. Spend time in the scripture. Spend time in prayer. Put some worship music on and just spend time listening to God, worshiping God. Develop that in your life and in your home. Amen? Our kids need it more than ever because they're growing up in a world that tells them constantly, you know, that, oh, no, truth is only what you know in yourself. There is no objective truth, which, of course, that statement is an objective truth. So, it's kind of funny when you think about it. But uh, the reality is, just like that statement is false and can't be verified, the results or the byproduct of that statement is also false. There is objective truth. The truth is that you were created to be loved by God and to enjoy Him forever. That's the truth. Amen? And everything, everybody say everything. Everything, everything is built on that truth. Amen? Everything. Father, I thank you for these people today. I thank you, Lord, that the, the truth is that I was created to be loved by God and to enjoy you forever. I exist to be loved by God. I exist to be in a relationship where God 
God's love is expressed and experienced by me and that I'm able to give that back to him. That is my chief end and purpose. And Father, I pray today that, God, we would leave this place, Lord, knowing that we were created to be loved by you and that knowing that everything else that we do for you has to be built on that foundation. Otherwise, it just becomes religion. It just becomes an act. It just becomes going through the motions. But if it comes from a place of understanding that I'm loved and that that will never change, that I'm able to love back and my actions become an expression of my heart rather than an attempt to appease a God whom I don't know. So, Lord, today, may we walk with that affection deep in our heart. And, Lord, let life flow out of that. As we go into this Christmas season, Lord, coming up, uh, Father, people, you know, put up decorations. They're running around shopping. They're doing all this stuff, and, and yet most of them don't know that the reason this day is important is because it was the day that God gave the ultimate expression of that love that he has for us to us so that he could rebuild the bridge between God and humanity so that we could love him back in return. So that, Father, the relationship could be restored so that we could walk with you in deep communion with you. Father, that's what you sent your son to die for. That's what we want to live for. And, Father, we thank you today in Jesus' name.